Welcome, everyone, to CASA, hopefully live. Uh, <laughs> welcome to CASA Live, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. We do have kind of a special episode. Uh, we have a special guest who will be joining us soon. But before, before we get into that, it would not be a CASA Live without some hey, how are yous. Kristen, hey, how are you? Um, I seem to be a little glitchy here. Are you guys seeing that too? <laughs> That's what, we all have glitchy days. That's okay. And I just bought a brand new um, Ethernet cord this last couple days ago, so I wouldn't have this problem because my dog chewed up the other one. Um, <laughs> so hopefully it won't be too bad today. It looked like I logged on pretty easily, but otherwise really good. Um, spent the day uh, yesterday trying to avoid all the bad news and get control of my life by organizing my kitchen. <laughs> what a beautiful thing. That was a way to like take control and you know, it looks beautiful now. Everything's organized, even my fridge. I open up, oh, it's great. But oh, that, you know what I need to do is clean my fridge. I open up my fridge and I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's definitely not like an all oh, heavenly, heavenly moment. No, it's really not that bad. But thank you for the reminder though. <clears throat> Alex, hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I love how every time I ask you, your response is to ask me. I mean, it's, my day has been just, good. Things it's are going. just automatic. I, I'm practicing my FDA communication skills. I just answer in the form of a non-answer or a question. <laughs> is this Jeopardy rules when you're <laughs> yeah. as vague as possible? Yeah. yeah, I'm good. I stayed up late, uh, excited for this show, and uh, so I'm a little tired. Um, and uh, of course, just you know, grinding through all of the lame news out of FDA. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting into it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You? Hey, hey Logan. Hey, how are you? <laughs> um, I already my asked week, you. My week's been, uh, you did, you did already ask me. I have, you know, I had another week. I had a long week. Um, we had Monday off though. I actually did have a two day weekend, which <laughs> actually kind of threw me off. Uh, I don't know for anybody who just works a lot. Oh, yeah. Whenever you get that extra day, I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. So we ended up going to the beach and that was really nice. Uh, and, and this cool spot up in Rochester that I didn't even know existed until this week. Um, it is called Ontario, Ontario, something beach, Ontario park beach or something like that. Uh, right on Lake Ontario. And it's it's a beautiful spot, a uh, beautiful like boardwalk and there's gazebos and a park and uh, there's an Abbott's if anybody's ever been to an Abbott's, which is like a frozen custard place, like right there on the beach. Really cool. The kids had a great time. We had a great day up there. So that was a nice way to start the week out. And then from there, it was just like bad, <laughs> you know, just bad. But anyways, we are here um, and we do have a special guest with us today. We have Alex Norsha from Filter. Uh, he previously was a, a writer and uh, editor at Vice. He's been published in New York Times, uh, the Columbian Journalism Review, the Daily Beast, and others. Uh, he's also a freelance editorial consultant for the Foundation for Smoke-Free World. And we'll bring him in. Mid-coffee sip. Sorry. Got him. <laughs> Welcome, Alex. Happy Hello. to have you here. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Of course. Hey, how are you? Yeah, I was just, yeah, there you, Kristen can do it. I was about to, but you, you stole my thunder. Oh, you can do sorry. it. I'll give it to you. I thought you were going to go on. So he usually says, hey, how are you? So how oh. are you? 
I'm well. Um, <laughs> this is really the first thing I'm like doing today, honestly, hence the coffee. But um, yeah, I'm good. I'm <laughs> yeah, good. you're in California. Yeah, I'm in California. Yeah, I mean, it is it is admittedly 1.40 p.m. It's not like it's 8 in the morning. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I've got uh, coffee going already yeah. and it's, you know, it's 4.30 here, so. Uh, I can't do that late. I would never get to sleep. We're in, I'm in the Midwest and those two are on the East Coast, so. Yeah, yeah. I refer to it as the West Coast and the Best Coast. That's just a uh, that's my that's, that's, my shot at Danielle, really. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm from the East Coast, but I've been out here that long, honestly. But so far, so good. I think. Uh, yeah, hot. It's yeah, but I think it's hot everywhere. That's just the yeah. Planet. That's just the planet imploding on itself. No need to be alarmed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely true. All right. It's well, Eighty degrees in the Midwest here too. Today. Oh, yeah. Is it still yeah. that hot out there? Yeah. Well, it hasn't been. It's been very cool, like in the 50s and 60s. And today it just decided, you know, we're just going to go oh, back. Oh, you got that one for... random day. Yeah. I would like to apologize to everybody who's tuning in right now for heaven beaming through the window behind me. <laughs> I recently moved my desk downstairs. My whole office came downstairs with me just because my office is like literally 25, 20, 25 degrees hotter than the downstairs of my house. Ooh. And every show that we would do, I would just be sweating. Like one time I made the mistake of wearing a gray shirt and was just like, I was, it was terrible. <laughs> but, uh, but I moved everything down, but this is the only spot for, I have a huge desk and this is the only wall it fits against, but that's the downside. So I'm just going to try to keep my head Don't move it. Yeah. in front of it, like right there. there. I just won't move for the rest of the Shoulders show. Back. Back yeah, right there we go. Good posture, anyhow. <laughs> it's that. It's that, or like I just tilt like way up. <clears throat> Whoa. Or you guys get like the desk. <laughs> That's all yeah, I can I do. I'll just try to keep my head right here, not to blind anybody. <laughs> you need better curtains now, like I have back. No, here. I need to get some blackout curtains. That's what I need to do. But I was telling Alex, these curtains are really nice. Like this whole room is like vines and green and foresty, and our curtains are like embroidered and they have vines and leaves. They're really cool, and I don't want to get rid of them, but this yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what i did last you can stop talking about uh the blinding i have that song stuck in my head still alex um <laughs> the intro song no uh the blinding light blinding oh, okay. yeah i have that song stuck <laughs> in my head anyways thanks philip in in chat says uh don't sweat it logan you look marvelous full <laughs> there we go thanks philip i appreciate that Anyways, I guess we can get right into it. Uh, Alex, I have a question for you, just kind of right out of the gate. Yeah, how, how did you get into this space? Writing about tobacco harm reduction and, and vaping and, and everything that you do, how did, how did that come about? You um, wake up one day and you're like, I want to write about e-cigarettes. Not exactly. I mean, there's a story to it, I guess. So um, when I was at Vice, uh, like every year they have a sort of ritual layoff, right? Because for whatever reason, the company's hemorrhaging money, yada, yada, yada. And then um, every time that sort of occurred, there'd be a new person in charge of the website, basically, right? Um, and they all had different ideas of how to get people to read the site. So um, I guess in I, my timeline's kind of skewed, but it must have been, let's say it was 2018, something like that. Uh, the woman they had hired to be in charge um, was very adamant about like, carving out niche beats, uh, meaning we could own spaces that other people weren't owning. So, I mean, I was broadly writing about drugs, but the argument was, you know, everyone's sort of writing about drugs or whatever. Um, and then 
over time, I think, you know, Jewel was in the news constantly. Um, and then, especially when a volley hit, so I was covering it like sort of broadly, right? And then when a volley hit, um, it really just struck me as like a moral panic and they were everyone was getting it wrong. So I sort of just doubled down on the reporting and then it sort of just led me into this world I'm now in. Yeah. That's the narrative at least. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's great to see you covering uh, you know, this space the way that you do, uh, kind of aside from other media, you know, covering a volley and and whatnot. What what's that what's that feel like? What is that like? Like well, being being somebody in this space who's trying to report honestly and you're surrounded by, you know, misrepresentation and Well yeah, I mean I think I mean, that, that's probably a larger point about the media in general, especially digital media. Like, I think, at least advice for a while, I was able to, like, everyone sort of left me alone, right? It was like, I want to write about vaping and tobacco harm reduction. I can sort of do whatever I wanted, right? Um, and then with Filter, it's it's been great in the sense that, like, I don't need to spend, you know, two paragraphs explaining to the audience what tobacco harm reduction is. Like, it's, like, sort of implied that everyone reading it knows. Um, what I will say about everybody else is I think there's just like not enough time maybe to like sort of understand the complexities of this issue, right? So they read whatever, some bogus study or they sort of get on the bandwagon of the teen epidemic. Um, and it's just easy to write these sorts of stories and people love, you know, an outrage click and they'll click on it and read. So, I mean, I think that's largely part of the problem. Though now maybe it's, changing a bit i don't think the outrage is as prominent as it was i so, so yeah that kind of leads me to a, another question you know, something i've been thinking about is and, and you've been tweeting about it i know jacob greer has tweeted about it i kind of followed i think y'all's lead and had my own comment about it yesterday it, it's the sort of it's the aspects of this story that are not getting the attention of mainstream outlets and, you know, when I think about this and, and you, you know, you shared with us the, the, the article from Cliff Douglas today and MedPage today, um, the uh, let's let me I highlighted the, the section yeah. here for folks who are playing, playing, playing the home game. Let me add it to the stream here um, that, you know, it's inappropriate for anyone to interfere with the agency's expert congressionally mandated scientific mission. And yet leading tobacco control organizations and members of Congress have applied inordinate pressure on FDA, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, this is something to me that feels like this is the real scandal. How, when, sure. how is that not translating into, you know, where's the investigative journalism from WAPO and New York Times? Why are they not in, in, in reporting on what is, I, I think, a much bigger story? And, and, you know, this is essentially, this is corruption plain and simple. Isn't that going to get the eyeballs and the rage clicks? You would you would think, but I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. I mean, I can, I can answer something in a sort of roundabout way if it's helpful. I mean, I think, sure. I think you have people, and I mean, I think this includes sort of everybody we're talking about, right? Whether it's um, Matt, a Matt Myers type figure or somebody sort of even progressively in tobacco control or even a a health journalist at the New York Times, right? They tend to be 55 years old or older, right? I'm 31. So I'm sort of like, you know, when big tobacco is being dragged through 
the sort of Congress, right? Like I don't, uh, I was a child, right? Meaning that like, I think ideologically my assumption is not, I've made this point before, that like big tobacco, what it was, was not what it is now, right? So it's not in my head the same sort of boogeyman, even if I don't quite agree with everything they do, right? Um, but I think that's the struggle that everyone has is to like escape this sort of ideological framework where it's big tobacco is always lying to us. Um, we need to beat big tobacco. Jewel is equivalent to big tobacco. They're trying to hook the kids when like that's not what this story is. But I think people have been so in the trenches of this war that they think that's it's just the same old story when it's not. And I and you brought me to another question that I, I didn't write down sure. here, so yeah. my co-hosts don't have the benefit of seeing my thoughts. But um, I, you know, I was gonna we have we have sort of an array of the generational divide here. We got two Gen Xers, and I think Logan, you're 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 both millennials. So we got Gen Xers and yeah, millennials. I'm, I'm here. thirty, so yeah. And you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is one of the things that makes this this tobacco uh, controversy or issue different from what you know I witnessed in the '90s was it, it you know everybody everybody now no matter what age you are if you have internet access you have this free access to information uh, right. unlike we have had in any other point in human history and so i'm sort of curious about you know i, I don't know you know what your social circle is like if you're hanging out with the 20 somethings and you know people who might be you know just out of college or friends and family who are just out of high school i'm curious about the younger generation's take on being essentially lied to. I mean, are kids just gobbling this stuff up or do they know that this is like, you get herpes from a toilet seat and if you masturbate too much, you get hairy palms. I mean, I don't, I don't, I really don't, I really don't know. Like, I mean, I'm sort of, I guess, on the older scale of a millennial, right? Like I'm not, my, I have a younger brother, but even he's like in his mid twenties. I mean, and his, he and his friends sort of, you know, jewel with no abandon, quite frankly. Like it's not, um, they're not like, um, so, I mean, anecdotally, I don't think, I just don't, I, I just don't think even looking at the numbers that that many people are doing it at these sort of levels that the media likes to pretend they are. Um, so I really don't have an answer to your question necessarily, but um, I mean, I'd be curious to see what happens down the line when these things are sort of, um, at least assuming some of them are authorized, right? Like, um, that at least be a realization, I think, especially among people who are like, at least like, you know, lucid in their thinking, meaning like not 12, um, that they've been sort of at least lied to a little bit. Yeah. I know that one of the burning questions, you mentioned your brother, um, but do you vape? Um, yeah, you know, honestly, I've been, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I smoked for a long time. Uh, yeah. I smoked for like 10 years. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I like dabbled in it, I guess, but not to the level of like, you know, a connoisseur. Um, it was just sort of <laughs> closed systems. Um, and then I recently, uh, not to, not to, um, you know, product uh, place or anything, but I've, I've been using these oral um, pouches now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do it. I have no, I have no trouble saying that. I mean, I think, I mean, I think that's another uh, sort of problem is that I don't know what people think nicotine does to you. Like, um, it's a relatively like benign substance, right? Like, I don't like, it seems like people like to think it's some sort of extreme psychoactive drug when really it's just, I mean, in my head, it's like almost like an equivalent thing to caffeine, 
um, yeah, which I think is part of the problem too. I think I, I think I feel caffeine more than I feel nicotine at this point. Yeah, I don't, like, yeah. You know, I, nicotine I, is I, just I, kind of there. It's just kind of part of my daily life. It it's just how I achieve normal. You know what I mean? Right. There's no there's no real effects to it. I've and, you know I have no issue discussing my previous drug use, and I've done quite a few of them. Um, some of them in excess. And people ask about nicotine compared to, you know, other stimulants, whether it's sure. cocaine or methamphetamine or something like that. It's, <laughs> you're, it's basically benign. Like you can't, yeah. it's, it's really hard to even put it in that bracket other than, oh, my heart beats a little faster. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which caffeine you know, does the same thing. Yeah. You know, nicotine does a lot more kind of in the background for your brain than anything else. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a I I like the substance. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, I find yeah. it really interesting, uh, Alex, that you almost seemed apologetic for having smoked and for using nicotine. Now, I mean, the way you just said that, you're like, well, I I don't have any problems. Well, but it well, really came I, up kind of like you felt a little well, embarrassed that you did, and it's so funny because nobody's embarrassed that they go well, the spend only, six bucks twice a day only, at Starbucks. You know? Yeah. The the only the only reason, honestly, it's like I I really don't give a shit like generally speaking right i mean i just think it's another sort of um thing someone can use against me right meaning that like uh, right. he's biased he uses it um that's really my only fear um mm. but okay. it's not it's not i have no i sort of no, no qualms for um using well, that, it um, that fear is there because of society which is just crazy yeah i mean i recently told i told my uh, my buddy uh, ethan nadelman um that uh, i think it's my favorite uh, drug i've ever done um, I, I have no, I have no trouble saying that either. Um, uh, yeah, I think Oscar Wilde called it the perfect type of perfect pleasure, um, which is like a good sort of, um, yeah. I mean, it's sort of just, it's just like a little hump to get you through the day. Right. Uh, Jacob Greer's, uh, book, um, Oh gosh, now I'm going to blank on the name of that book and like something in the creative destruction of the cigarette. Yes. Yeah. Another, another good book for people to check out. That cigarette is, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Alex, uh, uh, Jacob talks in that book about, um, you know, c cigarettes and smoking and nicotine kind of being this particularly cigarettes being this kind of perfect drug because it goes with everything. You can do it yeah. at any time. It does. It's right. not, it doesn't inebriate you. It doesn't, uh, slow you down in any way you can, you could drive, you could be working, you could be doing whatever it is. And nicotine just kind of accompanies every yeah. aspect or whatever you're doing where you don't have to like sit, sit down and be like, okay, well, I need eight hours to use nicotine today and I can't go anywhere. You know, it's, uh, right. it's just kind yeah. of that perfect accompanying your, your day substance. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the thing. I mean, that's the interesting sort of development, right? It's like, as it goes toward because I mean, really what's happening, right, which no one really wants to say is that if, you know, it turns out 40 years down the line, vaping causes like almost no sort of health consequences, right? We have to confront the idea that like nicotine is totally fine to use on a sort of leisurely daily basis, right? Meaning that more people therefore might be willing to try it, right? Um, but I think what people find so offensive about smoking, and I'm not the first person to make this point, I don't know who did, but, um, it's like really people started to get pissed about smoking when like secondhand smoke became a thing, right? Like don't blow smoke into my face. Like I, and I think I largely suspect too, cause I was reading about like just before I got on here about the sort of banning of e-cigarettes and airplanes and 
things like that where it's like it really makes no sense, right? It's sort of inoffensible. It's just vapor. Um, but the idea that like people just like don't want to see you doing it, right? Meaning that like they equate an e-cigarette with a cigarette, right? And they're like, keep the vapor out of my my face. Um, but if it turns out none of this is causing any problem, right? Like, I just don't think people can wrap their heads around like, it's not safe, but it's much safer, right? That involves uh, a level of nuance that, I mean, people right now may be incapable of sort of accepting. Really seems yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of people just kind of make that equivalence because it it looks like smoke or because the media has portrayed it so negatively um, that people just you know they they worry. You're like, oh, I'm gonna breathe in someone else's vapor, and you know we don't know. I'm I'm gonna get you know COPD or some wild thing yeah. just from standing next to someone vaping, and it's it's really sad, honestly. Yeah, but I, I mean, I do I do think the one sort of saving grace is like, I know it seems sort of wild now, but I mean, as time goes on, um, the evidence is only going to get more like irrefutable, right? And so, I mean, people are going to have really nothing uh, to say. Um, and it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. I really do. I do think it will be. I mean, it might not be necessarily in our lifetimes, but yeah, um, <laughs> that's what I worry about. Like, yeah, I mean it's um yeah i mean it's, it's interesting just watching sort of the the sort of progressive nature that other drugs have taken lately right meaning like with cannabis or psychedelics or even mdma um i think people are more willing to you know at least accept the war on drugs was a horrendous idea uh but at the same time they seem totally okay to sort of start a new kind of war with nicotine and um it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint uh why exactly that is i have trouble sort of figuring it out other than it's like it it's so sort of socially ostracized the act of smoking that to sort of like bring it back into the fold meaning like bring nicotine back into a thing that like everybody does it not just poor people or whatever um but that's a massive hurdle to overcome at least in terms of like sort of public perception of the of the substance. Yeah, I think uh, you know I, 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 a lot of the talk, and especially you know something that that Cliff mentioned in his in his article today, and and others have been talking about, um, and and Cliff has mentioned this several times. Cliff Douglas um, is this idea that you know the warring opposing sides in this battle need to come together and come to some agreement. And I, you know, personally, I don't see like, I don't see the logistical uh uh requirements being met for that you know it, as right. long as tobacco control is sort of censoring research by way of you know uh denying anything with a, a coi mentioning uh tobacco funding and, and kicking people out of their conferences and all of that um you know that's that is a, a major barrier um but it's I, the question is um you know and maybe this is something that you've covered in you know your drug war coverage um, you know, it's the, the changing minds bit, like, what is it going to take for people to back away from this narrative that all tobacco bad? And it, it you know, for me, I, I, I don't want to answer my own question here or anything like that, but and sorry, I'm, I asked a question, no, no, I got it. but it, it's, you know, in, in the, the, in the eighties, at the very least in the eighties, tobacco control made a conscious decision to conflate the risks of all tobacco products 
with cigarettes. And that's been that's been the narrative going forward there. You know, even there's no safe alternative to cigarettes or this is not a safe alternative to cigarettes, um, you know, from like a legal and scientific perspective. Like, yeah, really, there's no safe alternative period to anything. Everything carries some sort of risk, but it's meant to imply that this product is just as harmful as cigarettes. Sure. And I feel like a lot of the resistance coming from tobacco control people is this defense of that narrative. Like they know this is wrong, but they're just doubling down to try to save face. And, and I'm sort of wondering, you know, in your coverage and interviewing people and covering this issue and other issues, I mean, is that something that's pervasive? Are we dealing with kind of sick egos here? I mean, I think, I think that is part of it. And I think the second part is people much more, I mean, they almost wait with like gleeful satisfaction to see what harm will come of it, right? Meaning that like, mm. I think at the end of the day, what they really want is that this was harmful all along, right? Um, and that, that's been true, I think, with like all sort of drugs, right? Sort of emphasizing the harms of using a drug instead of the, you know, potential benefits of it, which are largely, I like doing it, right? Um, and I mean, that's a massive problem in our country, I think. The second, the second thing is I think like, I mean, again, I'm 31, right? I mean, largely I'm politically not represented, right? Like the, the Joe Biden's like, uh, my grandparents are dead, but he'd be like, they're that age, right? So I have my grandfather in charge of the country, right? Like, and all the people who seem to populate tobacco control, again, have been there for that amount of time. So it's like, there, there needs to be somebody who goes in there with this sort of new idea. And I'm not saying these people don't necessarily exist, but the dominant sort of mainstream people, like a Matt Myers type or anyone at the American Heart Association or whatever, they, they, seem, they seem like unwilling to accept that the reality now might be different, like as if nothing's changed in the last 30 years. Um, I, I don't know if it's possible to, I mean, how are you going to convince Matt Myers that he's wrong, right? I mean, he'd have to just fold his organization. Like, I don't yeah. know what else he's supposed to do, right? Like, he's, he's supposed to be campaigning against tobacco and nicotine for the sake of the children, right? Um, uh, and then, yeah, I don't, I mean, that's that's been the case, I think, throughout the sort of history of the war on drugs, right? I, Ethan Adelman again called it like a sort of massive child protection act, right? Like mm -hmm. that's sort of how all the legislation sort of written, right? Um, and it, it didn't work. And it's the irony, we're <laughs> about yeah. the same age as my, my oldest son. Yeah. Uh, he actually is turning 30 on this year. And, and I had tweeted that, uh, was it yesterday or earlier today, days are blending together. But I said, you know, I think it was yesterday, but I, I tweeted to Janet Woodcock and I said, look, you're trying to save the children. I have four children right. who all vape. Sure. What about my children? And, and the children of people who smoke have two to three, I mean, I've seen a lot of different numbers, times more likelihood of, of smoking themselves. So that right. would be my grandchildren. So are you looking at the big picture here when you're saying save the children? <laughs> you know, they're saving okay. a tiny little, you're not even saving them because there's nothing to save them from, but they're, 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 they're looking at a tiny population versus, yeah. and, and all these facts that I'm saying all come from tobacco control. They're the ones who come out and say, right. you know, oh, your kids are more likely to smoke and blah, blah, blah. I get it from them. So I know that they know this. You know? Yeah, I, I mean, and even anecdotally, like my grandmother, the one grandmother who's still alive, um, 
she smokes, she lights her cigarettes on the, she turns the stove on and puts her face to the stove and lights a cigarette. Like we don't live in that world anymore, right? You know what I mean? Like, like, it's not, like, it's, I don't, I don't quite, I can't quite comprehend how they think we live in that reality. Um, I just don't, I just, we just don't. Yeah, and Kristen, how, how old are your kids? Uh, my oldest is 30. He'll be 31 in November. And then I've got a 28 year old, a uh, 21 year old, a 20 year old, uh, and a 14 year old. Is that all six? I think I got all six. So aside <laughs> from your, aside from your, your 14 year old, essentially all your children are adults. So that's the beauty of organizations like campaign for tobacco free kids is the new child. There's always, it's a pipeline of new kids every year. And once they turn yeah. 18, 21, they're no longer, Bad. they're no longer part of that equation. They're, they're not kids anymore. They're out of there. You know, that's, we, we no longer need you to, uh, to act as our shields. We have more kids come more youth every year that we can pull in. And that's, that's the shame of it, right? Like, you know, we care about the kids until they're adults. And then we stop caring about those people because we have new kids that we can care about that we can campaign for now. Now, Alex, I had a question for you, but sure. Morgan actually stole part of it. Um, but mine, I think, might be a little more nuanced. I had, I went back and I looked at some of your Vice articles from sure. back in like 2019 and stuff, and I noticed a real change of tone between from then to now. And you kind of already explained that, you know, when you went sure. to Twitter and you, um, when Ivali started it all. And I, I did notice, though, that one of the things that made you stand out back then was that you at least went and talked to, you know, you you talked to whoever the like Matt Myers or whatever, but then you'd also go talk to Neil or somebody right. on the other side rather than some mom and pop vape shop employee, like most articles seem to do. Maybe <laughs> like Matt Myers against vape shop dude. Right. Like so you know, and that was that was really great. Although I did notice and it's really subtle. It's not, it's, it, it doesn't seem on purpose. It seemed like you didn't have your mind made up yet about, about these products because it did lean a little more towards, Ooh, this is a big concern type thing and the team thing. And then there was that switch. And was it, I had, I guess it's a two part question. I think the first part is, okay, so that switch was Evali, but did you start feeling anything like, what was it about Evali? Just seeing them lying and, or did you, did you see it as lying? Um, and what the well, CDC was doing. And well, that was two after you answer that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think to the first part of the question, I think the initial interest, at least editorially speaking from Vice, right, was to write about Jewel. Um, and uh, I, I, I still think they're awfully easy to, at least were awfully easy to criticize, right? Um, so I think my coverage was sort of dominated by all of the, you know, probably at least if not, idiotic tone deaf things that they did right like um going on to i mean and as as sort of beneficial as it would be to you know give a bunch give a native american tribe a bunch of e-cigarettes so they don't smoke cigarettes anymore i i understood why that could be read incorrectly and so did i think a lot of people right um and secondly i think what a volley did was sort of broaden um uh the interest beyond just jewel right like i think once that happened ironically enough i was able to be like okay like this is a much bigger story than jewel sucks or whatever you want to say right um and once i sort of saw people jumping and perhaps because i was sort of aware of the context of a moral panic once you sort of saw what was happening 
um, I was like, oh, this is remarkably, um, I think, easy to see what's going on. Um, and I was able to cut through the noise of it. But that, all that being said, I was definitely edited much more heavily at Vice, right? Like the oh, audience, yeah. the audience is different. So like, um, at, like again, with Filter, it's very clear who I'm, I'm writing for. I could be a bit more uh, radical, for lack of a better word. So like, yeah, my thinking is definitely more and it was always more online with Filter's tone. Um, but I think in order, and I mean, that's the best thing. And people ask me too, like why I didn't try or why I don't try to write for like a mainstream publication, right? Um, I mean, I, I still do, but like the reason I don't go and try to get like a, I'm gonna go write about the FDA at the New York Times or something, is that I do think you're then shackled by the tone or whatever of the institution, right? Which can be a good thing in some ways, but then like, I think I'm better off sort of writing, not the bottom, but say the bottom, and then it's sort of feeding to the top, right? So then now when everyone starts caring about vaping again, when Jules authorized or whatever, that um, they'll have to reference my articles because I was the only one writing about it the entire time, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's a way, there's a, so I mean, like that's the only sort of strategic play I've made in my head, right? Like the longer I stay in this world, the longer I write about this thing, and I said this before we started the podcast, the more everyone continues to screw it up, the better I am prof uh, professionally, right? Like, um, I don't want them to keep screwing it up, but I think that's like the sort of, what do you want to call it, guiding guiding light that I have, is that um, with filter, I can, I can sort of, I can have whatever perspective I want, and that perspective has largely been, um, everyone's wrong about this, right? I mean, not everyone, but like this sort of mainstream is, is is wrong about this um that being said i i don't quite understand why i did think perhaps stupidly that more papers would write about um you know ken warner's paper and all of the former presidents of srnt who you know came out and said everyone's sort of freaking out about vaping um it's hard to say why like that in my head is a big story, right? That's like the mm -hmm. biggest tobacco control authority saying that, like, like take a chill pill. Um, <laughs> I don't have, I don't have an, an, I don't have an answer to like why they're not covering it more aggressively than they are. But again, I think that from the bottom up, it's like the, I think it's the best strategy at this point. Is it just taboo, like in, like in mainstream media, to write positive things about? vaping and e-cigarettes is it just I like don't, i i don't i don't i don't is it just for the sake of clickbait is that the driving force behind well i mean i think well i think i think i think there's a few things going on i mean these are just theories right so i think um like it's kind of got like all the worst things right so if you look at like the broader harm reduction community right they're they're very against and i think rightfully so you know global corporations right um Whereas with this one, with tobacco harm reduction specifically, I mean, there's that's kind of what it is, right? In a way, right? Like that's what dominates the sort of coverage is that you know there's these massive corporations who are trying to quote unquote addict teenagers to their safer products, right? So I think it's it's hard for people, I think, from a perspective, meaning that like, especially for my generation too, is skeptical of all of these sort of big businesses, right? Um, to think that they're doing anything that's quote unquote good, right? Um, 
So I think that's that's part of it too. Like I don't think anybody wants to say, "Good job, big tobacco," right? Uh, but I don't think that's the story. You know what I mean? Um, but I think people are hesitant to wade into those waters. I mean, even with filter, right? Like, you know, it's we're strictly editorially ind independent, but you know, the funding comes from partly the industry, you know, partly the Foundation for a Smoke Free World, partly individual donors, right? So the the, the you know, and I, I had a thought in my head, like, does that ruin any sort of credibility I would have, right? Meaning that um, it's the easiest thing to say, right? Big tobacco shill, right? I mean, that's not what I am. But at some point, I realized that that argument is not even, it's not, it's not impossible to overcome it, right? Because even when I was at Vice, I've said this story before, too, they had done some, some branded arm of the company had done some deal with PMI in England, right? A department I'm not a part of, a country I do not live in. Um, a deal I did not know anything about. And then when I reach out to people like a <clears throat> sort of Stan Glance team at the University of California, San Francisco, they say something like, we don't talk to people who get PMI funding. And in their imagination, I think they, they, they believe that I'm sort of, you know, dictating what some PMI executive is telling me to write. Right. And that's just like not, that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, which I mean, and that's part of it too. I mean, I think to start to continue writing about these things, you, I almost had to fall more into the the world in that in that yeah. way, because um, no one. It doesn't sound that. Ironically enough, the only way I can aggressively cover this is, you know, in a sense, to be funded by the people who want um, good news to come out, right? And that's not to say I wouldn't write about bad <laughs> news, but. Um, yeah, I mean, that was an ethical sort of leap for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I don't think about these things, but people like to just think it's like, you know, big tobacco guy. It's just like not right. accurate. Yeah. Oh, and I that mean, was, I was going to say that leads me to part two of my question. Sure. Um, as far as I, I kind of chuckled when I saw you tweet, I forget when it was the other day about, I think it was WSJ quoted filter or whatever and you said yeah. something outside oh, it, might the been, it, might time, it might have been time magazine I don't time know. magazine or something yeah I, I can't remember what it was but you you sounded a little excited that hey i got quoted by this main thing and maybe they're going to start listening to us and i kind of we relate to that because we were always kind of like what do we do to get quoted what do we do to have them come to us and and that was one of the things that i saw with your your older articles going and then going into filter is you changed who you were approaching it seemed like as far as getting opinions and, and obviously your experts, well, in my opinion, got yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely, I definitely have more of a perspective now. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that, that came with, that came with filter. Um, okay. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, it's just easy. Everyone's on the same page. You know, it's not like, a. it's not, you don't have to convince it's just me. And then, you know, it's me and largely it's Will Godfrey who edits almost all of my tobacco coverage. Um, and it's not like I need to convince him of much. He already, we're, you know what I mean? We're already starting from the same place. And I'm not even saying that was necessarily true with Vice because I was able to cover kind of uh, what I wanted. But there, there's always a little more hedging going on. It's more of a sort of, um, there's less of a, a, a lens, I guess. Because um, filter is almost strictly through a sort of harm reduction lens. Um, which, yeah, I mean, lends itself to my own perspective, at least. Is that an overall harm reduction, or would you yeah. say just for drug use in, in general, are you saying? Yeah. And then, because yeah. I've noticed that even other 
um, and we're so, we're so excited to see him starting to come around, you know, like with Ethan and um, who else just, somebody else just came on, but who are more from the drug, um, yeah. the drug side and going, wait a minute, you know, and kind of tobacco, you know, just didn't fit in there. It's like, like with that article, I think you wrote that article about the nicotine. Yeah. I mean, I know, part I know, of, I, we're like the ugly stepchild of our reduction. Or right. Something. And I, I mean, I don't want to, I know Ethan well, and I don't want to speak for him, but I think like, you know, he retired. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, I think he sort of thrives in these sort of antagonistic environments, right? Like, um, you know, I think he's less interested, let's say, in uh, figuring out how to tax recreational cannabis than he is to go on TV and yell at people about why they're wrong about nicotine, right? Or tobacco, <laughs> right? Get off so my think, lawn. <laughs> yeah, so I think, when he, I think when he saw a sort of new war or battlefront, or whatever you want to call it, developing. He his interest was was peaked a bit, and then I think you know in retirement he got a little. He was starting to get restless. I mean, he told me he always wanted to do a podcast, right? And then it sort of um, opened up his whatever you want to call it. Like he could he could speak about it more freely, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think more people will come on board. I mean, I and I don't think there's a hesitancy necessarily. I just think. Um, there's a lot of things that go on in the broader harm reduction world, right? And like drug policy in general is still insane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, um, but I mean, that's what I mean. <laughs> with, I mean, with Filter, too, I mean, I basically, my role is I have to write, I think, like two THR articles a week. And then the other one, I can sort of do whatever I want. And that sort of comes and goes in terms of like what the news is. But, um, you know, I mean, they hired me pretty specifically to do that. Um, and then everyone else kind of covers the broad array of it. Oh, OK. Your um, your your, I guess, previous experience writing in more about drugs and then kind of coming more into the tobacco harm reduction space is do you do you benefit from that in cutting out the noise? Is yeah. do you, do you kind of fall back on those same old that same old ability to cut out a lot of propaganda and a lot of that noise and yeah i mean focusing I, yeah. more on what's really going on yeah i mean i think it's just context right like i mean i mean it's unfathomable to me how people think prohibiting a drug is a, a good idea i mean we have countless you know episodes in our history that that, that just doesn't work right um so i mean i would think i would think that is sort of my main point right that i think prohibiting um especially uh something that's safer um is politically scientifically and humanely bad shit honestly yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um yeah uh, yeah i mean we look at you know human history prohibition in itself is such a new a new thing and you're like oh well, obviously it doesn't work like we've been doing drugs for thousands of years why would we prohibit them now and expect human beings to just oh okay yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I do. I have. I mean, I have theories about why it's happening, obviously. But um, it's. I don't. I mean, I'm still. I still hold on to a sense of optimism. I mean, I'm not saying the industry is going to be what it was, obviously. Um, but I really do think it'd be crazy if the FDA ignored all of the science. I really don't think that's going to happen. I mean, that would be a that would be a, a 
massive scandal if they um, you would have lots to write about i mean that would be that would be um but yeah i mean i mean the new so the new theory going around not that you asked but the new theory going around is that the fda is waiting for the i think i tweeted this but they're waiting for the the youth data to come out multiple people have told me that right so for whatever reason i mean they sort of hide beneath the guise of these numbers right and then in a way blame the cdc right it's not their it's not their data um so it would involve it would involve another agency um that i kind of buy that theory um but we'll have to wait and see i guess so then they can they can kind of lean on that data to support whatever decisions they make yeah even so. if they put one out because they could say, oh, we just didn't get enough data because of COVID and kids weren't in school. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I, and I don't, and I don't, I, I also don't know how much, like, realistically, how much time they can wait before they make a decision without, you know, um, the plaintiffs, the Matt Myers types going back to the court and saying they need to do something. Not that that's going to be resolved quickly either, but um, I can't imagine the plaintiffs are going to be um, patient. Speaking yeah. of court system, did you see that article? What was that? Uh, was that Forbes that did that article? No, Wall Street Journal. I can't. Jim's in the chat. He could tell me. They did an article and that somebody had suggested a possible legal way around things because the, the way that Congress, these congressmen pressured the agency that it might give the vape industries who got um rejected a, a way to uh oh that's good to know uh a way to, to sue basically saying that there was undue influence on the regulatory process by congressmen which is that's not their job you know was, right oh, i mean I, it was fortunate daniel I, ha fortunate. I haven't read i haven't read the um so i mean they got sued and then they from my understanding um released a sort of a new PMTA sort of policy, right? You had a new document that came out. Um, a lawyer basically told me that they might try to argue that that's what they're going off of, right? Meaning like not necessarily a court decision, this document they had put out, this guidance. Um, I don't know if that buys them more time technically, um, but I mean, that's not unfeasible either. Right. Since we're on the, the potential legal questions here for the, the non-lawyer guest. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have to ask his opinion. Right? Guys, this yeah. is just his opinion. He has yeah, yeah. wider stuff. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I, I think my, my question is, is sort of a mix of, you know, potential legal issues, but also, um, you know, journalistic integrity and, you know, accountability within the media. Um, and also a sort of like, hey, did you see that too? Going back to the lung injury cases in 2019, which I refuse to call by the ridiculous acronym, um, you know, I was watching the evening news every night just to see what kind of nonsense was going to be reported. And this is early October. If you remember the timeline, I might be getting the date wrong, but um, around this time, uh, actually, Utah, the, the Utah Department of Public Health had banned flavors in nicotine right. vapor products and required retailers to post up a sign on on vape shops that explicitly warned people about um, tainted THC cartridges, which I think there was a lot of like concern about that, but it was also from, from, a, uh, from a public health communication standpoint and from a harm reduction standpoint, 
it was th that was the best place. You know, we we have to acknowledge that people who use nicotine are also more likely to be using other drugs. And so if you want to meet them where they're at, put up a sign in the vape shop. It wasn't meant to scare people away from vaping. It was meant to inform them. And then within a couple of days, I, I think it was October 6th. I, the date could be wrong, but it was within the first two weeks of October, the FDA updated their advisory to consumers to explicitly say this is coming. You know, we know that th illicit THC cartridges that are adulterated and and you know bought and sold informal sources, all that. Stay away from those. Right. Um, that that to me was kind of that was breaking news for me. We finally we've got a federal regulatory body coming out identifying the issue and alerting consumers. That night, I watched. I was I tuned into the NBC nightly news with Lester Holt. And instead of reporting on the updated FDA uh, advisory, NBC News just went with the CDC narrative, which we all know was not updated for four months. Right. And so I, I guess my question ultimately is, is our news organizations, is, is there a way to hold them accountable for refusing to disseminate potentially life-saving information in the midst of a crisis? I mean, isn't that their job? Yeah, I mean, you would think I don't. Again, this might be a roundabout way of answering, too, but I mean, I think what sort of COVID has shown me, at least, is that we're pretty bad at or we meaning the government. Um, we're pretty bad at scientifically disseminating information right to the point where people like it's understandable why people are so confused about things, because it's been so kind of ambiguous. Right. Like even with the mask mandates. Right. It's like mask, don't mask, mask, mask. And then people sort of get tired and confused. Um, my point being, I think once you say, once Evali is out there, once e-cigarette is in the, literally in the acronym, um, once this narrative sort of, sort of gets its own wave, it's very hard to backpedal, right? Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily know like why these news organizations are not deciding to, to do that, but I, I would think it'd be hesitancy in sort of um, admitting, because if, if they go on TV and they're like, e-cigarettes are it's not the problem they're safer and then god forbid one kid gets sick and then he goes to the hospital and lies that he didn't vape thc or whatever um there's going to be a there's going to be a media scandal right i don't i think these things just get legs of their own and then you know i mean the, the vaping epidemic ended because a real one came along quite frankly yeah. right um and uh people get very sort of the media, I think the media tends towards at least the mainstream media. I mean, they tend towards sensationalism, right? I mean, I don't think um, when people talk about their agendas, I don't necessarily even think a lot of the time it's necessarily even partisan. I think it's just, you know, they want a scare story um, and it's sexier. But we're getting to the point now where, I mean, if these numbers come out, these numbers come out, right? basically confirming what we already knew these this youth data um i don't really i don't really know how they can keep drumming up the, the panic um I, i'm very interested to see what happens um but yeah i don't know i really don't know and i don't i don't know i mean the only way that i know how to hold them accountable is to keep reporting what i'm reporting um because i have no um Inroads, but that, again, that's that's kind of the point I was making too. I think the more I aggressively cover it, the more I write about it through this perspective, uh, 
if it launches into it. They authorize Jewel, for example. Like, I hope someone invites me on TV. You know, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there needs to be more. Um, they need to have different people talking about these sorts of things on television, on the radio, writing about them. Because um, I do think the world, the world itself, is awfully kind of <clears throat> right. It's kind of curious when things break out, right? I mean, you sort of knew with the PMTA deadline, people would start writing about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I will say it seemed less um, like fatally moralistic than it did the last time. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you guys had that impression, um, but it didn't It didn't seem so like, why aren't we banning Juul, for example? Um, I mean, I know the industry is decimated, obviously, but there's, um, Besides the sort of calls from the usual groups, I didn't see much in terms of um, at least the same level of, you know, sort of misinformed concern. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, everyone's gonna flip a lid if Jules authorized. And that's really the only mainstream story, I think. Um, I'm not saying it's right, but I think that's where the mainstream issue or whatever you want to call it lies um because i mean that that's the thing i mean they could authorize enjoy tomorrow and i don't really think anybody would care that much hmm. you know if they authorize a tobacco flavor and menthol flavor enjoy yeah i i mean it's, for, for me i'm mean, being so close to this and working on this for you know the past seven and a half years it's you know for me there's that there there would be that poetic justice if enjoy were to be the first approved or sure. authorized um I, I think that i mean to me like if, if we're going to do it fairly um well we're, we're we're beyond the point of doing this fairly but yeah for sure um, you know i i feel like you know enjoy is the reason why we had access to these products for as long as we did uh and and i, I feel like it's just you know it, it's they get they get their due if if that's the first authorization um on the other hand i think someone else had suggested on twitter that you know, the right thing for FDA to do instead of picking winners and losers, because the first one out of the gate, they've got, you know, they're they're the, they're the correct ones. Right. It's news. Yeah, exactly. They get the market advantage. And and so the, the suggestion was that all of these, the big five should be uh, authorized simultaneously, yeah. um, which was something that I, I had suggested at a TIPSAC hearing once about MRTPs that, you know, send a strong message. I know FDA can't promote these products. Right. But I, I think the agency certainly has it within their discretion to do not not really a mass authorization, but make a big splash and let people know that, you know, yes, we've reviewed the science. These products are safer than smoking uh, and, and they are appropriate for the protection of public health and do it all at once and grab some headlines and help people quit. Um, so and not a question there, but <laughs> no, no, that, I mean, I agree. With, I agree with you. Um, and part of me does think that's what they'll do, but. I mean, at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing. Um, yeah. Uh, there is a question from uh, our audience. Philip Fritchberg uh, sure. wants to ask Alex, have you felt somewhat targeted by anti-tobacco groups since you began writing exclusively about THR? Um, not really. I'm almost disappointed I haven't been. Uh, they don't, um, they just don't talk to me. I mean, that's the best, I mean, that's the best sort of answer. I mean, they don't. Um, I do my due diligence. I, you know, I've, I've emailed PAVE, I've emailed CTFK. I mean, I've emailed people there, right? Not some like random 
email address no one reads. Um, but I mean, I don't think it's in their interest to speak to me. So that's, that's right. That's their own prerogative. But, um, I try. I don't think they talk, talk to anybody outside of themselves. Yeah. I think that's kind of the no, thing, I've right? Talked, I've talked to Stan Glantz before, but, uh, that's really, he's probably the only character, you know, he sort of yelled at me on the phone, but that, <laughs> uh, that's, he's really the only person in that, whatever you want to, that world that I've, um, spoken to um and i've tried i mean i've tried to go you know other i mean there's other there's other characters that i guess are like closer to the mainstream or at least have ties there and still want to like respect their peers like clip's a good example or um uh, what's his face eric Lindblom. um you know where they sort of have had experience in these worlds but they uh don't think the current reaction is warranted but i i have i've had no success in speaking to you know like matt myers or something like like that and I've, I've really tried um but again i don't think there's any interest in it uh i mean maybe again maybe when they start authorizing things he's gonna have to talk to more people like he he's gonna have to debate people but um i'd be happy to do it but i don't think um yeah, I don't think we're going to see much beyond their statements in the New York Times or their press releases or, uh, yeah, they just talk to themselves. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, pay, I mean, Pave even, I emailed, I, oh, I talked to, I talked to Meredith at Pave one time too when I was at Vice um, once. But, uh, you know, I emailed them when I, 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 I mean, I pretty much mocked them. Um, and I emailed them and I was like, I'm going to do, like, this is what I'm doing. You know, I'm not saying anything. Um, and they said, yeah, sure. And then I emailed them the next day and I was like, do you still want to say anything? And they never got back to me. I mean, presumably in the, the intervening 24 hours, they Googled me, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, but no comment. Yeah. I think that was part of my question too, uh, earlier was how do you decide, you know, and how maybe have, how to journalists that? Cause that's been one of our frustrating things. I mean, we've been doing this since 2010 and just, trying to get noticed because one of the things we're trying to do is be the voice of consumers but nobody wants to talk to us sure. and uh it's like i was curious how you picked who you chose to interview on the sides was it really just coming back to whoever returned your phone call like paid I mean, I, so i don't talk to them so i mean i definitely i definitely uh i mean one way to answer that is i think i definitely have go-to people right who i know will uh sort of i know will say the sort of not necessarily the right thing, but sort of give me a, a good quote in a quick amount of time, right? If I'm writing something sort of on deadline, um, that's typically been somebody like um, David Sweener, Clive Bates. Um, and then I have a broad sort of spectrum of people like that. Um, but yeah, you know, once you sort of talk to one person, you're introduced to somebody else. And now I think I'm pretty familiar with almost um, everybody in this, in, in that sort of whatever you want to call that, the sort of THR expert world, I guess. Right. Um, and then, you know, I, 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 I also think people like not to keep talking about Cliff, but somebody like Cliff where he's, he's from the mainstream world and he's sort of like, sort of slowly moving toward this THR world. Right. But, and he's careful what he says. I think it's very important that he's careful what he says. Um, but he's a good person to talk to too, because he's like unimpeachable. And so is Ken Warner, right? Like these people aren't, um, 
they're not yelling. They're not, um, uh, you know, like trying to make fun of people, like trying to make people have a bad time. I think they're like genuinely expressing um, their opinions and concern about certain subjects. Um, and that can be helpful too. And I think the more they want to talk, which I found all of those people more talkative lately, um, it's only going to help. Um, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Ken, Ken sent me the, the, the article in the American Journal of Public Health before it went up. You know, I mean, I think they want this stuff covered. Um, uh, but I don't know why the sort of mainstream doesn't necessarily pay attention to it. But that being said, I mean, Cliff is often quoted in all of these mainstream stories. So um, I think that's a good thing because I don't know if that was necessarily around even two years ago. Yeah, oh, I, no, it wasn't. I, it, you're sort of you're, you're piquing my curiosity. You know, we had the um, there was that group of young tobacco control researchers who uh, published something. You know, their observations about how uh, polarized or polarizing the tobacco control community is, sure. and how difficult it is for new researchers to to really investigate the things they want to look into in terms of harm reduction. Uh, and so, you know, and and of course, referencing you know Cliff Douglas and some others. Uh, who are in a way sort of defectors from the, the traditional yeah. tobacco control industrial complex um, within the journalism community. I mean, when you're hanging out at the, you know, the, the newspaper man bar, or if that is even a thing, <laughs> you know, are there are there are there young up and coming reporters at established media organizations that are, are expressing privately maybe their their frustrations with the limitations their editors are placing on them? Do they want to be covering these stories more? That I don't know. I mean, I think as sort of, you know, time goes on, there's going to be the only choice is going to be to sort of fill roles with younger people, right? Who I do think at least would, I think they'd be amenable to sort of my perspective, right? Um, but again, they might be a bit shackled by, um, you know, I sort of understand why there can't be sort of very granular coverage in the New York Times about you know, Washington, D.C. banning flavored vapes, right? I kind of get it, right? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. And then, quite frankly, I don't really hang out with many uh, journalists anymore. Um, that's its own sort of insufferable nightmare. I, <laughs> I, I, um, I mean, I do, I do. I certainly have friends who are still writers. Um, and, um, yeah, and in New York, I did, that's the thing, I just don't know. I mean, the drug policy world is very different than I think a sort of, you know, um, you know, person who wants to work at the New Yorker or something like that. Um, um, and I mean, the best people who write about drugs, I think, um, tend to be people who have lived experiences in that world, right? Um, like Zach Siegel is one of my favorite just general drug writers. Um, yeah, fantastic. Um, and he's, you know, and we're friendly and like, but he's had a lived experience with this stuff. So, um, you know, he's a, and he talks to the, the right people, quote unquote. So, um, yeah, I don't, it's hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for why there's no like sort of widespread interest in, in drugs the way that there necessarily should be i think um but again i mean that's that's the one benefit of these sort of smaller sites is you can kind of write 
whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I hope the tide turns, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we're all in that boat. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a question for the panel. Uh, sure. Thoughts on how this will influence worldwide policy? Will other policymakers quote the U.S. in regulating, or will they use the U.S. as an example of what shouldn't happen? I mean, I think it'd be the former rather than the latter. Um, yeah, I mean that. I mean that's the other thing too. Like, it's like it's important to remember that like we're not like the landscape in China, for example, is radically different than the. The landscape here right our government doesn't own a tobacco monopoly right um and i mean i think that's why the uk people are also like how are they you know so good on vaping i don't think they have the sort of one I, people don't freak out in the same way secondly they don't have the sort of relationship we have to big tobacco right um so i mean i think like yeah if the fda i really do think that the fda authorizes a product it could be any product um, they'll then have to authorize more, but I think it will completely change the discussion because then the FDA is wrapped in every argument you make. Like now, now at, for the time being, they're sort of siloed. They're still in the mainstream tobacco control world kind of, right? Because they really haven't effectively said much of, or done anything. They've said things, but they haven't effectively done anything other than deny these products. So it makes it look like they're against vaping, right? Um, but my hope is that that's not necessarily true. What I suspect is what I, I think kind of everybody thinks is that, you know, the market's going to be much smaller and sort of favor these larger companies. I mean, I think at this point that's indisputable. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the big things, you know, is um, like you said, regardless of what, you know, or if, but what products do you get or, or even just one product gets authorized, I think a, a big takeaway that a, a lot of advocates miss, you know, we don't, we don't want to just see a tobacco right. jewel and that's it. But if a tobacco jewel gets authorized, the underlying statement there is that this technology, e-cigarettes yeah. are appropriate for the protection of public health. And like you said, they would have to, or you would assume authorize more following that. And that changes the whole conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. I think we're talking about, you know, I'm not I'm not saying it's right that all of these small businesses are being shut down effectively. Right. Um, but I think that's just that's like almost like a separate aspect of the story. Right. I mean, I think in terms of changing public perception, right, about this whole technology uh, will be a sort of tacit acknowledgement by the FDA. Right. Um, that's a win for public health. But that's not necessarily a win. The way they went about it is not necessarily a win for the industry at large, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think um, it will both ways like it has in general. I mean, the, the, just the the news that comes out of, I mean, look what happened with the whole lung injury that shall not be named. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, some countries followed and went, ah. And other countries were like, what? You know, right. so I think it's going to be very similar with that. Yeah, I mean, it'll it'll be I mean, the play, I mean, whether or not they authorize certain flavors is sort of the open question, too. Um, right. I, mean, I don't know. I don't want to say I think they will and then they don't, but um, I kind of think they will. Um, um, 
I just think it's going to be severely, there's going to be severe marketing restrictions on all this stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know, but it does, it does sort of make sense about why they're being so vague and careful. Um, a lot rides I, on it, you know? I mean, yeah, I think they, and I think they're aware of that. Um, and I think they don't want to prematurely say anything. Cause like I said, the only thing anybody cares about is Jewel and Jewel's got no flavors really. Um, so, and, but no one is, you know, no, there's no kids, you know, vaping and open rig. Like it's just not, it's just not happening. Um, so yeah, as, I mean, we'll, as old yeah. Scotty Gottlieb would refer to them as these big contraptions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing too. It's like, you know, there's a, there's a sense where I've compared it somewhere else. It's almost like people who really like classic cars, right? They're like, uh, like old school vapors are almost like hobbyists, right? Like they're yeah. attached to this object um, in a very particular sort of way. But that's not the th the thing with Jewel and the problem with Jewel is they propelled a relatively like sort of niche, consumer-driven, you know, public health hobby, for lack of a better phrase, like completely into the mainstream on the worst imaginable terms. Um, yeah. And now you have sort of people reacting to. Um, people being aware of what vaping is when they had no real idea and they still don't. Right. Um, but I, again, I think the only way to change public perception at this point is for the FDA, the WHO to stop saying all of this. Um, I mean, the FDA hasn't technically said anything that's sort of, um, quote unquote, you know, like they haven't said like, these things aren't safer yet. You know what I mean? Um, but they're just dragging their heels. The WHO, on the other hand, is having a yeah. They kind of they kind of yeah. pull the blanket. Uh, yeah. yeah, there are no safe tobacco products. That's that's kind of yeah. FDA's way to cover you know their their ass by not saying well you know this isn't safer than that or necessarily one way or another. They're just like there's no safe tobacco product and no. And and like, yeah, like, I mean, then it has, I mean, is it, I mean, it has incredible ramifications for if like, you know, down the line, like I said, if this is, you know, significantly safer and really is causing like minimal health risks, like, you know, we're going to have to get used to the idea that nicotine is a, 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 a substance we can use in our daily lives with no, uh, you know, consequence in the sense that like maybe people who wouldn't have smoked would now use nicotine. Right. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that future. Um, yeah, I would agree. But I think I think some I think some people really have a problem with that for whatever puritanical reason. I, I'm I'm sort of taking the position that you know I, I I understand that argument, and I think that's um, that's to me that's sort of the most hysterical take on it. That and it and it's it's right in line with what people have been saying about right. cannabis is, right. you know, oh, if we legalize this, we're sending the message that it's safe and more and more kids are going to be using it. Well, that's not happening. And I, no, I think, it didn't happen. you know, I look out at, you know, the world, you know, it's there's so many of these, you know, most people don't use drugs. And then most people who do use drugs don't do so in a problematic way. And right. it, it's it, I think the numbers stay relatively the same. It's that, you know, there are there are a certain percentage of us who are curious about these experience with drugs, we're going to seek them out, it, you know, whether it comes from, you know, trauma or just basic curiosity, 
you know, whatever life experience, we, we weren't educated well enough in how to cope with stress and anxiety, like whatever it is, right. there's a certain percentage of people who will always experiment with drugs. And this is the foundation of harm reduction, just acknowledging that and saying, let's make sure that the, the safest possible, the least risky versions of those drugs are available. Um, right. So I, I, my prediction, if we're giving predictions, I think I think we're going to be consistent with kind of what we're seeing in cannabis. Yeah. And like it's it's interesting too, like the sort of I mean, the debate, I mean, one of the main debates around cannabis and even psychedelics now is like the sort of corporatization of these substances. Right. Mm. Whereas like with 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 vaping, it's almost the opposite problem. Right. Like the corporations are already there. Like you don't you don't that that's not necessarily the the fear, because I think they're going to sort of give it to the larger players anyway, right? Um, mm -hmm. What what I think the hurdle really is, is that like, it's like people just have to get used to the idea. Like, I mean, smoking has been so sort of socially stigmatized for so long that to sort of reintroduce nicotine use and like everyone yelling about e-cigarettes being the same thing, right? Um, sort of getting used to the idea that people can do this in public, outside, whatever. Um, and it's not a problem. It's not offensible to anybody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, whereas like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of convinced the new sort of cannabis freak out will be that people don't like people smoking in public, right? Like, cause that's happening in New York now, right? Like that's, someone's gonna start, someone's gonna start a group that's like, you know, secondhand cannabis smoke, right? Like it's going to be moms against secondhand cannabis smoke and we're going to just go to it. Like, it's it will uh, be, though, if there isn't a group like that, somebody's it's yeah, I just I just gave found to happen. Idea. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just give him a great yeah, name. Yeah. yeah, money maker right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, trademark that before. Uh, exactly. I better I better get in on the uh, prohibitionist game before it's too late. <laughs> I did when yeah, you're going to question a lot of your old articles and you suddenly switch. <laughs> just, just flip immediately. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, you, you brought something up about, you know, this this uh, corporatization and, and just to, you know, so everybody we were so that we're all on the same page. And this is something that uh, I think Carl Phillips said, perhaps in our comment in 2014 was, you know, this consolidation of the market is it's a feature, not a bug. This is this right. is the intent of the regulations. Um, and. I think it, we we talked about this on one of our earlier podcasts, and and uh, I think this was uh, it was an op-ed that was published. I can't remember if it was New York Times, uh, but it was sort of in the run-up to Congress, um, you know, early in their year when we were talking about cannabis uh, uh, legalization, decriminalization, descheduling, whatever was happening right. in Congress. Uh, there were a couple of op-eds and people who were expressing this opinion of. While you're writing the law, make sure you write it so that big tobacco and alcohol are excluded from the market. Um, and I, I can get into the other complaints about how they sort of threw vaping under the bus to make this point. Sure. Um, but I, I'm sort of curious of, of your take on that. Is there a role for is there an appropriate role for tobacco companies to play in uh, in 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 the cannabis market? Um, is is it is it beneficial overall to consumers to have these big companies participate? Maybe there's limits. I don't I don't know what's appropriate, but are we better off allowing them to participate, or should we be should we actually be excluding them? Yeah, I mean, I don't. 
again, this might be a little roundabout, but I think like the biggest difference between nicotine and say take cannabis, for example, um, is that there's really no like social justice, uh, just justice aspect to it yet. Right. Meaning that like, um, it's almost like not even a partisan issue at this point that people think there's too many people in jail that we disproportionately put black people in jail for cannabis use. And it's not that that, that sort of problem is not really tied into nicotine necessarily. Right. Um, so I think that's sort of that's I think the, the sort of guiding principle of all of the people who are sort of against the corporatization of something like cannabis. Right. Where it's like we were doing this all along. Um, we fought for these laws and now some rich white fuck gets to come in and rule the market um, and smoke willy nilly when they're probably smoking all along anyway and no one was bothering them. Right. Um, but sort of in a logistical, realistic sense, like, I mean, I've heard people sort of say that vaping might um, sort of model off the crap beer market. Right. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a, a terrible analogy right and i don't necessarily know if that uh, it's a terrible analogy for cannabis either right like meaning that there's i would expect there's um you know massive companies like something like budweiser producing sort of generic kinds of things and then you know for somebody who enjoys you know whatever it is a particular flavor um they could go to a you know a smaller manufacturer um i I kind of think that'll happen. Um, but again, it, it's, it's, it's hard to predict. And then the third thing I will say is that again, pragmatically, it only makes sense for, I mean, you see the same thing with electric cars, right? I mean, it's not an insane proposition to encourage a corporation to sort of diversify what they're making, um, when what they're making is, you know, killing people. Right. Um, meaning that I don't really necessarily see a pragmatic problem in allowing um, a big tobacco company, if they want to get into the cannabis space, or if they want to start making, you know, vapes or whatever, um, in lieu of making cigarettes, right? I mean, it the kind of makes sense. Um, but I do, again, understand why people are uh, very hesitant of this sort of corporate takeover. I just don't realistically think it's something that can be necessarily prevented. Yeah, and I, it, it's, uh, you know, for us, I mean, we've talked about this before, but just for the benefit of the conversation, you know, um, we, uh, uh, we we found ourselves at odds, I think, a, a lot of the time, some of the time with people in the community. Um, and it's just, you know, we have a difference of opinion on this. But, you know, of course, a lot of people in the in the independent side of the industry are very passionate about, you know, they don't want to sell uh, uh, views. They don't want to sell anything made by Altree. Right. I'm sure there, you know, there's lots of vape shops that are just like, I don't want to ever sell a jewel. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have taken this position of, um, the, 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 the big corporations, again, it's, just, it's a logistical consideration. You know, they right. are in the best position to deploy these products rapidly and you know increase the sort of maximum benefit of the availability of smoke-free products my dog is barking at me because it's his dinner time um but but yeah I, I i guess i just wanted to you know put that out there and make that clear i know a lot of people buddy you're gonna have to be quiet yeah it's just it's just it's just hard to i mean in a perfect world i don't want giant corporations in much of my life but um i think the 
the situation we're in now, it's, 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 un, it's, un, I mean, it's obviously unavoidable because that's what's happening. Um, yeah. Keeping incumbent tobacco companies out of the vapor space, that ship sailed yeah. Yeah. years yeah. and years ago, yeah. you know? Um, and I mean, again, but I get, I get, I get why people, you know, I mean, it's in that way, it's sort of analogous to what I was saying earlier, like, I mean, I think that's another sort of threat of this is this was a very sort of consumer driven public health evolution. Right. Um, and I think people can be distrustful of that idea, especially if they have no idea of the history. Right. Meaning that like it it I'd be curious to ask some laymen what they like, like they think that vaping was sort of made by a big tobacco company to, you know, addict all of the poor children. And like that isn't what that's not what happened. Um, but I would means- love to just take two seconds, though, to plug Kassah's historical timeline <laughs> on all of this right now, which is over at Kassah.org uh, for anybody out there, journalists, whoever, if you're curious about the actual timeline, uh, we have an excellent resource for that. Yeah, I mean, a ton of time into that, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, and I understand people's frustrations, like, you know, it was they've been around for so long and then they're effectively told that they couldn't they're not allowed to keep selling their products because they couldn't complete this vague onerous expensive process i mean i, I totally sympathize with that um speaking yeah. of that process there is a question that i keep putting up and taking down again to go back to relevant sure. comments um kathy was asking with the mdo list doesn't that just put all vape stores out of business and she followed that up a little bit later with asking if basically isn't it just too late for us vapors? And I think this is to the panel as a whole. And I just a couple more questions too that I have. That's fine. I'm 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 around. Um, I mean, technically speaking, no, right? Like the MDOs are for a specific product, and there's still pending applications, obviously. And from what the FDA has said, um, there don't seem to be. They're not going to do anything in terms of enforcement with the ones that are still pending until they start making decisions, whether or not that's an authorization or authorization or denial. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, so in that, in that sense, it's almost like the, at least the pending applications were sort of in the same situation they were before, which is, I mean, they were technically illegal, right. Um, once they were deemed and now they're in this sort of gray area. Um, secondly, I guess just practically, again, I, I suppose it depends what the stores are carrying, you know, um, um, yeah, I mean, if, if your entire inventory is from a company that no longer exists, that's going to be um, not great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kithrin asked, "Do you think the FDA is waiting on COP nine? I don't even know what that is. It's a they they um, uh, it's like the framework convention. I don't I don't think so. Um, mainly because I think they're I, I think they act internally, meaning that like I think they're just going to they're going to be forced into making a decision one way or another. Cause I think, like I said, the, um, the anti factions are going to get sort of impatient with their lack of, um, decision-making on the companies that they care about. Um, uh, and then I will say too, which just to throw that out there, I mean, it's sort of, it's sort of remarkable through this whole PMTA process too, how, you know, everyone from what I can tell sort of received the same, sort of letter, right? Meaning that um, this was the standard you had to meet this product specific standard that basically showed that your product was for adult smokers and would not initiate throws of youth. Um, 
but there's no, I, mean, I, sp I spoke to somebody recently, there's no, it's like their tobacco flavor is still pending, for example, and they're still completing all these very expensive tests, but there's no indication that even if they spend, you know, two million more dollars to get their tobacco flavor through, that the FDA isn't going to down the line say, well, you didn't do this, so fuck you, right? Um, that seems to be one of the biggest, uh, I don't know, the biggest FUs from FDA is, you know, they're kind of getting to this point in a, in a review, and when that application lacks that data, they're kind of just shutting the review down, yeah. denying it and moving on. So like you said, even if these companies were to spend the additional money to get that data, resubmit their application, when FDA goes through that, that application again, even if they get to that point and they pass that point, FDA right. can go, well, here's the next thing that's wrong. Shut it down. You have to start, the, you know, start over right. again. And it's just right. kind of this, it's like, a, it's just a slow bleed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's like, you don't even know like where you're going to be bleeding from. Right. Like, there's, yeah. There's no, there's no, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, I sort of stand by my theory too, of the idea that like, you know, 93% of the applications denying them seems like a big task that they completed. Um, but you know, again, if all the applications that have been denied are missing the same exact things, it's really not that difficult to yeah. do. It's like, it's like, you know, giving somebody a zero on a test because they didn't put their name on it. Like, exactly. Um, uh, I don't think it's that hard to sort through. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but I understand everyone's frustration at the very least. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious. You know, one of the things I'm working over in my head, I know we got other questions from the chat, but, um, and just to put this out to everybody, um, you know, in 2017, the FDA pushed back this deadline to 2022, which is why we ended right. up with the lawsuit, which everyone ended up with many things. Right. So I, I'm curious if, um, you know, uh, if, if ever, anybody's take or, or, you know, maybe people that you've talked to already, um, was, was there ever a, a sense that if, if that 2022 deadline had, had held, um, you know, my thought is that we would see more of the small to medium businesses being able to actually submit more robust applications. Sure. Uh, and, and perhaps we would have seen, you know, um, we would have actually seen approvals for, for the small to medium businesses. I, I'm just curious if I am I alone in thinking that or, or have other people maybe voiced similar takes on that? Well, it's hard to, I just think there's like a lot of what ifs, right? So like if you take Jewel out of the picture or you take um, Ivali out of the picture, right? Like the, the issue is not as politically insane, right? Like there's no, there's no need for a lawsuit. There's no need to uh, bring the deadline you know, closer to the present day. Um, so then maybe realistically following that, they would have set up a more, uh, let's say less vague channel in which to apply for a PMTA, right? And then largely no one would really care because kids aren't doing it, no one's getting sick. Um, yeah, I just think they have to, they just, what the FDA is doing now is just tiptoeing around a politically, you know, sort of explosive subject. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't know, um, but I would—I would think your instincts are right. I think it would have been easier to get through. I, I don't think it would have changed the amount of money people had to spend necessarily. Right. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. But um, it at least would have bought people more time, and then maybe the FDA would have had more time to sort of be like, "Here's what you have to, here's what you have to actually do," and it was clear. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, we have a question from Skip Murray. She yeah. asks, since nicotine has been demonized so much, if the only thing that gets marketing orders is the high nicotine systems, won't that maybe open the door for open systems? They're pushing lower nicotine cigarettes. That's where I understand that question. <laughs> I, 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 I think I kind of do, and my answer is I don't think so. I, I, I think that um, open systems have always been kind of a, a, a really complicated thing because as you know, a manufacturer and, and, and putting that application together, you know, at least when we all got our first read at the, the final deeming rule, um, you know, the jewel is, is, is exactly what, F, almost exactly what FDA described as a product most likely to gain market authorization. Uh, and it, it's, you know, the, the different combination, there's, it, is just, it is physically impossible, I think, um, and I'm sure there is some math genius out there who can crack the code, but it, it, you know, me imagining going through that process of testing, you know, every available mod with different builds on oh, different God. atomizers and tanks and all of this stuff. Those are the variables. I think that frightens the hell out of FDA uh, and it frightens the hell out of parents, I'm sure. Uh, and it's just all the variety is, you know, for as successful yeah. and, and important as that is for people to switch it presents regulators with a really difficult challenge uh, in, in trying to monitor, like, what do you tell people? Like, what's the appropriate, you know, wattage on, on, a, on an open system device? Um, it, so it, I, I think, you know, the other way that I, just to, an addendum to this is, you know, something that people were talking about early on. And I, I, I swear I saw this in somebody's comment. Um, it, it was one of the, the more organized comments not by a, you know, a massive company, but one of the more kind of independent early days, old school kind of e-liquid makers, uh, making this argument that just as there was this sort of A and B option for cigars, there should be something similar for vaping in that, you know, we can think of the open systems. And I mean, you know, as we've already said, and everybody knows, you know, there is that more hobbyist element to this. You don't walk into, I mean, some people do, but you don't walk into a vape shop and drop $120 on a mod and a rebuildable tank atomizer and walk out of there just with this sort of plug and play mentality. You have to fiddle with it. You have to have, this, I think, some degree of like wanting to tinker with things. It's a hobbyist. It's a very specialized kind of thing. It's a premium nicotine product that is, it should, it is, you know, beyond the means of some kid with a paper route, you know, some kid going shopping in the black market with, you know, lunch money isn't going to drop one hundred and fifty dollars on a on a setup like that. And so sort of automatically, I think the open system stuff should have been given some sort of separate regulatory scheme. Um, but, you know, again, FDA didn't know what they were getting into when they finalized the rule. Obviously, uh, it's, it's, it's almost as if, you know, they've had all of these years. They've had seven years to figure this out. And they're still just sort of blindsided by the the amount of applications that they received like how is anybody surprised about this it's because you know you're not paying attention and they weren't prepared i saw it somebody tweeted and i don't know if it's true or not um, but it was on the internet so it must be um but somebody tweeted that logic submitted their application for pmta uh in 2019 so it's been two years i mean yeah, that's I mean, crazy I, that they've had it that long i mean yeah and views the the alto view someone was was talking about the the views alto that was also right. i think submitted you know that end was like the, that was like right out of the gate that was one of the first pmtas submitted 
Yeah. yeah. So it's, it you know, just from like a timeline perspective, like you said, Kristen, like how long they've had to review these applications, those were the first ones in. I mean, if this is a first come first serve among the big five by market share, those would be the early options. How we long, should be hearing um, something announcement about that. How long did it take FDA um, with, with the ICOs? Two, three years, two years? Years, years for sure. Yeah. 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 And we don't know how long it took to go. <clears throat> it took them to get that ready to be submitted. So, uh, Jim McDonald, who's one of our directors, uh, board of directors for CASA, uh, happened to put this comment in there, and it says, "When Gottlieb originally pushed the deadline back to 2022, he also changed the enforcement disc uh, discretion grace period so products could remain on the market until FDA took action, not just a year." And that that's a good thing to know because for people to know because I have seen some stuff on online where people are saying, oh, well, if they submitted back in 2019, they should already be illegal and remove all their right. products from the market. And that's that's explaining why that's not true. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> um, we did have one question. Did I put that one up from Skip? Well, we just did the one from Skip, right? Yeah, yep. yeah. I think so. I was and just I gonna say, going back to hardware, you know, it's. The 510 is like the blessing and curse of all of this, because once we standardized that connection, once that became the industry standard, you know, it became you could put any atomizer on any mod, essentially, except for sub ohms and mechs and whatnot. But otherwise, that that endless combination started right there. And it's that right there is the logistic nightmare for for hardware is you can you can literally put any any atomizer on any mod. There you go. How many combinations is that? Like Alex said, how many mods are in existence at this point? How many atomizers? How many variations of every atomizer? And then how many coil variations go to each one of those atomizers? I mean, it's just impossible for a company to say, you know, my liquid is appropriate for public health in this specific device or or in these specific when the it's just there's so many. The combinations are are endless. For, from a consumer standpoint, that's great. That's incredible because, okay, well, I have I have this mod that stopped working, but I really like my atomizer. You don't have to go buy an entire new setup. You can just go buy the part that you need, whatever is bad, and use whatever else you have. You know, that's, that's a beautiful thing as a consumer, but for the FDA, that's a nightmare, you know? So Adrian Mason asks, and this is this is a tough question, Adrian. So you, I, you're probably not going to get an answer, really. It says if the worst case scenario was still harm reduction, which would be net public, net benefit to public health, shouldn't that cover all the rest? That's a very complicated question that we may not be able to cover today. But anybody want to take a crack at it? <laughs> I don't. You want know me to put I, it back up there? I don't fully really understand it. I guess the worst case scenario was still harm reduction. Shouldn't that cover all the rest? Meaning. Um, I, I think I get it. I, yeah. I, I well, maybe I'll, I'll tease, I'll, I'll give out the scenario here. So like we were saying, you know, if, if there is a tobacco flavored product, um, which likely the first one isn't going to be a bottle of e-liquid, it'll just be a, it'll be a closed system device. Um, so if there is a tobacco flavored product that is um, uh, authorized, doesn't that sort of, isn't that sort of the proof of concept for everything else in the category that, you know, now, you know, certainly as advocates, certainly as consumers, we're going to continue saying what we've been saying all along. These products are safer than smoking. They can you can quit smoking. You can do you know all of the wonderful things. Um, but from a, a business, from the, the perspective of other companies in the space, 
the Swedish snus is a really good example. Um, you know, there were some people whose takes on Swedish match getting PMTA, which arguably should have been substantial equivalency, um, and NMRTP was that uh, now the FDA has deemed snus as safer than smoking. Um, that, that's just not how the FDA operates. The, the statements that a company make, and by, and by the way, uh, you know, to make those harm reduction claims, you also have to go through MRTP, which is another lengthy, burdensome, very expensive process that a lot of these small manufacturers and even the large manufacturers are going to have a, a, a tough time getting through. Um, in, in terms of talent, I'd say probably Juul and Reynolds are in the best position to do that. Juul has people that came over from Altria who went through PMTA and MRTP with ICOS. Sorry to throw out all the, the acronym salad there. Uh, and, and Reynolds, of course, has, has, has gone through MRTP with Camel Snus. Still no ruling on Camel Snus. Um, so, you know, they've got the talent. They've got sort of that maybe institutional wisdom that's carried over into to the, the, the application process. Um, but it is, again, it's very product specific. Among the community, yes, we keep saying the same thing that we've been saying all along. But for a business to make those claims and incorporate it into their marketing plan, it's, it's not legal until they get authorization from FDA. Um, Jim, just, yeah. <laughs> Jim just corrected me just real quick that that endless discretion was changed back to one year in the Grimm decision last year. So it is the case. Does that mean everything gets retrospectively, Jim, goes back to when they first submitted? Or is it from that a year from that date? I Now I'm really confused. <laughs> Do you know what he's talking about? Jim is just one of our people who really. Prior, this, to, so. prior to the lawsuit and the, the grim decision, um, it was, it companies was, could remain on indefinitely while their application was being reviewed. They weren't they weren't tied to a one year grace period uh, like they are now. Right. And that one year grace period has since since ended. Right. But what I was wondering if that means that like logic does, is technically off the market now it should be pulling everything because it's way past that one year or did it get a reprieve up until that ruling well if they'd submitted out? one year before september 9th 2020 that first year that they were in the process they weren't held to the deadline so the deadline would have been from the september 9th 2020 due date for pmtas yeah. I believe that's that's my, my interpretation. I ran, I went through a whole bunch of this with Jim at one point. And he basically was just like, no, 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 no. Look, it makes my brain hurt too. But Jim's saying maximum one year from PMTA sub submission date, so that makes it sound like, say, let's using Logic, who filed back in 2019, they're technically out beyond that point now. So I'm, it's hard. I'm trying to see. Jim's saying everything is technically past their grace period right now, but yeah, everything yeah. has FDA discretion, you guys. So that's why we're trying to tell people don't freak out because, I mean, yes, some people are saying FDA is coming to their um, shops and stuff like that, but that's that seems to be the exception, not the rule, for one. And there's a lot of companies that haven't gotten approved yet or, or uh, rejected, basically, for lack of a better word, yet. And... Um, the FDA is saying we're not going to really come after them if they've got, I mean, they're, they're implying they're not really going to come after you if you haven't gotten the decision from them yet. So that's kind of what we're going on right now. 
Yeah. Is that what you got out of that, um, Alex? Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's the thing. You could get caught up kind of lost in this technical jargon, but um, I don't, what they're basically saying, I think, is they're not going to do anything until they do it, right? Um, meaning that, <laughs> me, me, meaning that the the companies that have not received MDOs, um, they're still in this sort of uh, informal, perhaps technically illegal grace period, right? Um, until um, someone forces the FDA to maybe act a little faster. Right. Science by court ruling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Adrian kind of clarified his, what he was saying. He was saying the worst combination of liquid wattage and device being safer than smoking, then logically all liquids and devices should be considered a public benefit to health. And yes, logically you would think so, but that's not how it works, unfortunately. Yeah, I, and <laughs> just to underscore, just just to underscore, I think something that, that all of us have, have been saying, or, or maybe we haven't said it directly enough, uh, but it bears repeating that, you know, these marketing denial orders, it's not because these products are unsafe or unacceptable. Right. It's just because the companies were unable to produce the, the, the amount or level of, of scientific data, uh, the studies that, it, you know, are unaffordable. They take more than two years to produce. Uh, it, it's for, for this, it's a logistical issue. And, and I, I'm, I'm really, I, I, I'm not shocked, but I'm really disappointed in the way that the team of writers who writes for Janet Woodcock framed this issue in, in their statement. And it's, you know, if you pick apart the sentence, you know, from a, I guess, a legal perspective, it's all true, but it's worded in such a way to evoke that, that sense from the reader that, oh, it's the flavors that are the problem. It's, that's not what, that's not actually what they said. They just crafted those words in a way that I think elicits that, that reaction of you know, the flavors are bad. That's why FDA denied this. Right. Um, but, but that's, that's not true at all. So, I mean, you're right. Like even the most disgusting vape flavor out there cranked up to a, you know, a not so great tasting wattage uh, is still safer than smoking. Um, did, at some we, point we you're, you're, you're going to end up smoking though. I mean, you, you right. throw, right, right. Right. You, you crank up a, a one ohm <laughs> coil at a hundred Watts. You're going to end up smoking. Uh, and, up smoking and like our cotton. guest said, like our guest said, it's like, handing in your test and getting you could have all the answers right but you forgot to write your name at the top and they give you a zero you yeah, know and that's, that's really, good. I thought that was a great analogy Alex. thank you um, i mean i think it's i also think it's important to emphasize that no one really has any idea what's going on right. um i'm like <laughs> if you're if you're looking to me for answers i could i could um i only do that through my reporting but everything else is basically conjecture right like right. um because they haven't said really much of if anything other than what they said on I mean, when was it Thursday? I'm losing track of the days. Yeah. Sure, whatever day that was. And Jim just made another really good point. He said REI is leaving their flavored pouches on the shelves, which seems pretty big, which he's taking that to mean that they really trust that enforcement discretion. So they're not too, it doesn't sound like, basically he's saying that it doesn't sound like this tobacco company is too worried that the FDA is going to pull all, make them pull all those products. Yeah, I mean, even even logistically speaking, like, going around enforcing all of this stuff. Yeah, how are you gonna even? It's, it's, it's impossible. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they're gonna send a strongly worded letter to six million people, like it's just. Well, somebody um, brought up how they even, how is a company like Juul or somebody supposed to get all these products off the shelves? Yeah, I mean, they're everywhere. How are they even supposed to do it? <laughs> yeah, they're everywhere. Um, 
Yeah, and how many people wouldn't listen? Like, how many people are just going to continue to sell or, those? Or have, or have no idea what's happening. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's the other thing. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I've made this point before, too, but, like, I have people, you know, I have friends who still, you know, use Jewel, and they, they have no idea this is happening. Yeah. No idea. Look, that's Not something we've, we've talked yeah. about a lot. You know, we talk about how many, you know, millions of people have quit successfully with these products. And the vast majority of those people are just everyday folks that, you know, quit smoke. They bought a jewel at the gas station. They quit smoking and they went about their lives. They're not uh, they're not online reading about this. They don't, you know, spend hours at night reading studies and articles. And they're just just like they were when they were smoking. They're they're just living their lives. Exactly. the scariest part about that is when, you know, things do or if things do end up coming off the shelves and those people can't access the products they right. use, uh, they go back to what they know. Right. And that's that happens to be cigarettes. So that's yep. that's the that's the tragedy of that, that people don't know. Yeah. Um, is one day they, they might stop at the gas station on the way to work and nothing's there anymore nothing's there you know and that's what i worry about that's what made me think about that tweet i said about what about my kids because my my eldest he works in the restaurant industry which is just rampant with smoking and in and he works in a bar so even worse but but he's in illinois so nobody can smoke there but you know what i mean they're still going out back but the thing that worries me is that i know that he has this habit that you know if he can't get out to get a coil right away or if something he has is broken or whatever, he'll often just go buy cigarettes. Right. And so that tells me that he's probably going to go back to smoking if he can't get these products. And that scares me. That that really, really scares me. I'm all set. You know, I've right. got my stash. You know, it, it's that that's what really scares me. And it just it, it infuriates me that they're not considering all the adults and the adult children and then the children of these children. Because, again, right. If these adults are still smoking, it's more likely. I mean, four of my kids started smoking. And actually, that was all after I had started vaping and switched. Right. Already, and I was an advocate for I don't know how long. They were all in the restaurant industry and stuff like that. High, You know, stress, anxiety, ADHD, all the other mental health issues you hear about. You know, so I knew that they were, they were, they were at risk for it. And so I gave them crap, of course, when they started smoking. I'm like, really? Really? You're what your mom does and you're smoking. And so that I got right. them all vaping. But yeah, it, it, that's I'm, I'm a perfect casebook, you know, textbook case of who, what vaping's helping, what vaping's doing. It's ending generational smoking, you right. know, and they don't they just completely ignore that and go, OK, there's some rich white teens who are taking a couple puffs at a party as they're binge drinking and smoking pot. You know, I mean, it's ah, sorry. Done with my rant. Kristen, Kristen brings up, illustrates, really, you know, as as an engaged and knowledgeable parent in this particular issue, I think, you know, you've you've reminded me of something that uh, I'm I'm going to try my hand at pitching you a story, Alex. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, So here's 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 the background. Um, Not that long ago, it could have been a few months ago. It could have been two weeks ago. I just don't remember. Um, But there was a, I believe it was a city council hearing. And the ordinance uh, being discussed was a, a flavor ban. Uh, I, I think it, it, it might be somewhere in Oregon. I'm not sure. I, w- I want to okay. say it's upper, mid- upper, upper west uh, coast um, and uh, Pacific Northwest. That's how you say it. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it seemed, you know, council members and legislators, you know, they sort of have that like 
uh, the, the privilege of, of sort of calling in star witnesses uh, right. to come and testify in favor of their bills. And it, to me, it's the, the woman who was kind of the star witness in support of the bill, I think she went a little long and they weren't expecting her to say what she said, which was, first of all, it was a story about her daughter who ended up in the hospital with the lung injury. Uh, and of course, everybody watching was sort of like, it's, it's THC, it's you know this and that. And she got to the point, she's like, found out it was THC. And it, it sort of, it came to the to the, the 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 sort of ultimate point of her testimony was at least for me was that as a parent the only thing that she's hearing about is jewel 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 right and so when she went to look or or have a conversation with her daughter about something she was totally unprepared and was not able to look and see like what what's the, right. you know didn't know there's this whole world of devices it's not just nicotine there's cannabis out there there's illicit products and so it, it seemed to me that you know having her on as the star witness kind of backfired in a way nobody acknowledged this of course but it was that you know all this hyper focus on one company all the hyper focus right. on one on on children has actually led to parents being misinformed and less able to take action and take care of their kids. So I'm curious, you know, have you seen anybody reporting about this particular issue? And is this something that is interesting journalistically for you? Um, no and yes. No and yes. All right. Yeah, um, yeah no, I'll definitely look into I'm glad that wasn't yes and no. Was <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, I think that's an important, an important point. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's there's a few ways to go. You know, I mean, there's there's that way that there's that way to go about probably parenting, right? Is to find this thing and be like, I need to find all the most accurate information I want, or uh, you start an organization with a bunch of money and try to ban the products. Like, there's um, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think yeah, I mean, I think the stories of. Um, especially like you know, I mean, I come my dad's by the family all smoke, right? I mean, there's there's statistically speaking, I was probably a decent candidate to um, pick it up, right? But mm -hmm. I wouldn't imagine if I have children, they're going to do it, right? Which I think is sort of uh, an overlooked development. Yeah, I like I like Kristen's phrase on there, you're ending generational smoking. I think yeah. that's, that to me, that's the appropriate focus for, for the, any tobacco control. I think that's got the most bang for the buck there. Right. Well, if you go to the the CDC site, I mean, it still says had a page that says two hundred, like nearly two hundred kids a day become daily smokers. Still, so what's that going to be when they can't become daily vapors instead? And these are all to me, and like three quarters of those kids, if not more, would worse either were smoking or are at risk of smoking, which is people, kids who have family members and parents who are smoking. So I mean, right. it's a huge story. You have to wonder. Why that when they're looking at the weighing of public health, they're only looking at is this going to make kids vape? That's it. Right. I mean, they don't look at is this going to stop kids from smoking? I mean, right. where is this going to stop generational smoking? Is this going to, you know, they, it's like they don't seem to look at that side of it. They only weigh potential rat brain damage and, right. and addiction. And that's it. Like, where's the rest of the story? Why is nobody looking at the fact that? 
all these kids are not smoking, <laughs> you know, and they're still pushing that gateway thing. That makes me so angry. Is that all oh, these can make kids smoke? There's there's studies that suggest it's like yeah, and those right. studies are wrong. You know, you just want to reach through the computer and shake people. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I've been doing this too long, and I'm getting cranky. Not this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean <laughs> not this. I just mean you're so frustrated with people, and we've been trying to get the. And that's why it was so great to see you coming out and like Jacob Greer and some of the other journalists who are like, Hey, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Is not why is nobody looking at this other stuff? And yeah. it was just like, yay, you know, and to see just even your early vice stuff that was maybe a little skewed to one side because you're a little newer, you're still learning, you know, the ropes and what was going on and who was lying to you and who wasn't, we're still very balanced. And it was very exciting to see like Neil quoted. It's like, whoa, they didn't just sure. have you know, and and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on because it's just great to to have. We hope to see more people like that and influencing and seeing you get quoted more in in those big things, so people start reading your oh, stuff. I'm, I'm working on it. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Obviously. Yeah. So well, thanks for coming again. I you know I dropped this on on him. What was it yesterday? Night, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yesterday. It's like, hey, would you consider coming yeah. on our show tomorrow? I did not think he would say yes, and he did, and it was just amazing. So, again, yeah, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> just want to make sure All I right. get everybody's questions. I don't think there was anything else. Um, there's one here, and then we're going to have to wrap it up, you guys, because we're getting on the two-hour mark, and we told Alex an hour. Um, it says, with the vaping industry, Rock the Clock says, hey, Alex, and I'm not sure which Alex he's talking to. I'm assuming Alex Norris, our guest. With the vaping industry not including in their PMTAs, laboratory tests, analytical comparative studies, and human control trials, what is your suggestion for the next move? That's, well, that's a tough question. Uh, yeah, honestly, I don't have an answer, but I'm going to um... – I'm going to be bugging the FDA over the next few weeks, so hopefully there's some. I know no one wants to wait, but um, awesome. I just—I really just don't know, um, and I understand everybody doesn't know, but I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and as soon as I know the answer or some sort of an answer, I will certainly relay it. Um, we got another one for you. How difficult would it? This is from JD McCormick. How difficult would it be to get our industry's talking points in front of the mainstream media if we had researchers and MDs echoing these talking points? I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think people are trying. Like, I, I can't imagine. Um, like Ken Warner didn't send his paper to a bunch of outlets, right? I mean, I I, I, I find that hard to believe. Um, I mean, I think just sort of maybe sending these, I mean, I, being in contact with them more frequently than people are, but I, I have no, that's not something I can necessarily do, right? I mean, I can try to get in front of a TV camera or on the radio, but um, it's it's tough, but I think people are trying. I'm somewhat optimistic that this time around, it's not gonna be so panicky, but we can only wait and see. Uh, anyone can answer this one. Bruni asked, can pre-2007 products still be sold as they were before the grandfather date? And yes, they can, but I think there's only one product and it was actually a e-cigar. That's that's what right? FDA says. Yeah. They, they managed to identify one product that was introduced. <laughs> it was marketed in the United States prior to the February 15th, 2007 grandfather I mean, date. Even still around? I mean, uh, you have to I, wonder. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was ass, and like you know, it's not something people are still using. So or want, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Logan? Awesome. All right. Yeah, that feels like a, a good place to wrap it up um, until we pull up a few more questions for Alex. And we have <laughs> I just have some thank I'm you. I'm around. People, people can DM me um, or my emails somewhere in the in my Twitter yeah. bio. Yeah, before before you start the closing spiel, Logan, I just want to you know personally say thank you, Alex, for your diligence and your interest and, and your perseverance in, in covering this and looking forward to, to more articles and more honesty coming from from you and, and hopefully other journalists who, who, who realize how important this is and, and how desperate we need some accurate information about what's going on. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to echo what Alex just said. Thank you uh, for taking the time out of your day today to join us and, and talk course. about all this. It's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on. Same. Um, for, all, for everybody tuning in, thank you to everybody who's stuck around for the last two hours with us. And Alex, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, and for podcast listeners, this week's going to be super simple. There's only going to be one version of this. Uh, no legislative rundown version this week. It's just all Alex all day. Um, so podcast listeners, there you go. It'll be up first thing Monday. Um, and we will, uh, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place, 4.30 PM East coast, 1.30 PM West coast, anywhere else around the world. We've got to figure it out. I don't do time zones other than two West and best. That's all I got for you. Um, I think, I think that's it. Other than if you haven't joined CASA yet, please head over to CASA.org. Join. It's free. You get all the cool email updates. You can check the clicky map. You can look at all your uh, legislative things happening. Get involved. Uh, more members, the better. Absolutely, the more members, the better. So thank you, everybody. And um, I think that's going to do it. Anybody, anybody, final thoughts? Anybody, is that it? Are we good? We're good. We're good. <laughs> all right. Take care, everybody. Thank you, guys, one last time. Much love to you. Stay safe out there, everyone. We'll see you next time.